It's a delight to be here. So first things first, uh, we have a program for the kids right now, and since I'm new here, I don't know what ages that uh, includes, but you just follow right down this hall, and, uh, and that'll be going on during the service. Uh, second thing is, uh, yes, I did get a haircut, and, uh, and I didn't pay for it. Uh, this, this will happen periodically, so don't be alarmed. And, uh, and third, if you might have been gone a couple weeks, um, my name's Josh, and I'm the new pastor here, and it's just uh, delightful uh, to be here with you. Um, inside your bulletin, there are some notes, a uh, place you can, you can follow along and, uh, and jot down some things uh, as the Lord brings them to mind as we're talking together. Um, but like I already said, uh, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled to be here in this church, in this town. And uh, one of those reasons is because I feel real at home in Cambria, not just because I lived here before, uh, but because I think the Lord gave me the personality for this county. Um, I've always been told I'm a mellow uh, person. Uh, A counselor once called me uh, my personality type a flatliner. You know, there's, there's no, you know, variation. Um, And so I thought I was a pretty mellow guy. And uh, this has been independently confirmed. And then the first time I moved to Cambria, I think it's right as we drove into town, we went to that Chevron station, and this guy came out and he says, oh, you'll like it here. It's really mellow. <laughs> like, that's great. I think I will like it here. And, uh, and I have. Until, I don't know, it was maybe a few weeks we were here, and I thought I'd go to the post office. And in my mind, I think post office is like the epitome of of efficiency uh, in, in the world. And, and I had a few minutes, so I thought I'd swing by. You know, I had to mail something. I hardly ever go to the post office. And I came in like, oh, great, there's just one person in front of me in the line. No problem. And, uh, well, you probably could guess what happens next. It's like, oh, it's great to see you. How did I? And the, in front of me, the one person in line is chit-chatting away about the kids and whatever. I'm like, this is the post office. And all of a sudden, I thought I was the mellowest person in the world, and apparently uh, I wasn't. They forgot the unofficial uh, slogan of the post office. I don't know if you know it. Neither rain nor sleet. You want to put that up there? Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Uh, It's actually a quote much older than uh, the United States Post Service. But all that's to say, we live in slow county, but even in slow county, I found that people are frazzled, still here. We're still scrambling, um, trying to make make meaningful things of our lives. Uh, Kids are busy, they're frazzled with with school and, and, uh, you know, studying, frazzled with their devices, um, trying to keep up with... uh, with relationships in a world that could just kind of be cruel sometimes, relationally. Uh, the parents are frazzled trying to keep up with their kids, <laughs> trying to make ends meet, uh, trying to make sure their kids uh, do something productive with their life and their involvement in, in the things in town. Grandparents are frazzled trying to keep up with their grandkids, <laughs> keep up with technology, keep up with the way this world is changing so fast all around them. Retired is just uh, retired, you know, a whole new, another, another way to be uh, worn out. So life is spinning. 
it's spinning, spinning, and, uh, and yet when the lights go off, which in this town they really do go off, and we're quiet with ourselves, I think sometimes we wonder, is, is there meaning in all this? Am I scrambling in vain or not? Well, God doesn't want it to be that way. And then we come to church. And for, uh, for some of us, it feels like, well, here's one more thing. At least non-church people, they get one more morning a week that they could fill with all those things you're trying to accomplish. And uh, all of you are here, so you're not in that group. Um, and we wonder, uh, we do a lot of things here at church. There's a lot of programs, a lot of traditions, a lot of ministries. Uh, but we wonder, what, what are we accomplishing where is this all going? Well, it really doesn't help that there seems to be this cultural trend that we don't even really know what we're supposed to be doing at church. And uh, just this week came across my desk um, a LifeWays research uh, report on theological beliefs in the United States. Um, I'm not sure if you can read those or not, but these, these four questions were, were four of many questions on the survey, and these in particular were meant to identify uh, people in the United States that had... Um, basically evangelical uh, beliefs. And so the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe, and, and I, I would think that most people here would heartily agree with these. Two, it's very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus as their Savior. Three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of sin. And four, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal life. Uh, Would you hold to these things? Yeah, I certainly do. And yet, what surprised me is almost a third of our nation would also agree with with these. That was surprising. But if you take just the people that answered affirmatively to these four questions, they also, half of those, also agreed with this, that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So of those people in our country who hold to a real evangelical core beliefs, almost half of those have come to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter what you do at church. It, worship is like immaterial. As long as you're busy being religious, you know, God's kind of just cool with that. And that's certainly not the case. So there's this confusion of what are we even doing here at church. Have you ever had a job where you didn't understand the big picture, but you just kind of did the task that you were told to do? Nobody? I've had several of those jobs probably. Okay, I see the hands now. One of those was uh, when I, I moved down to San Diego to seminary. My brother hooked me up with a job at an engineering um, heating and air controls company, and they needed an engineering drafter. Well, I wasn't an engineer or a drafter, but he says, really, we want somebody that could you know, work basic office environment and you know, function with people and use the computer, and we'll train you on the rest. And so, uh, and so I did, and it was great. But at first I do jobs, uh, they call it just tracing drawings. So we take an old set of blueprints, and I d- because we worked all in digital, so, but if a job was so old that we only had you know, hand-drawn blueprints, I'd scan those in, and so it would be my background on my computer screen, and I would just meticulously draw on top of it with the mouse. And I might spend eight hours just drawing this picture. I had no idea what the picture meant. I didn't know, you know, what it did or what all these lines meant. But I was just drawing the picture. Sometimes church might feel like that. 
We're just doing, you know, we're standing when we're told to stand, we're sitting when we're told to sit, we're coming and going and doing these things, but what is the bigger sense of what is going on? Well, this is not what God wants for us. He wants us to be meaningful in our personal lives and in the church, and in 1 Corinthians 3, he tells us uh, how we could do that. So if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 3. I mentioned last week, if you were here, that uh, these first four weeks we're going to look at four images or pictures or portraits, metaphors, for the church. What's the church? What's the essence of what we're about or what we do here? And uh, last week we looked at the church is like a field, and Christian leaders are just workers in that field, uh, hence the, the chicken. Uh, today we're going to look at the next metaphor, which is a building. And uh, this morning, as I was picking out a tie, we had this discussion, uh, does this tie go with this shirt or not? And one of us thought it kind of did, one of us thought it kind of didn't. And then, lo and behold, it's an architectural building tie, and so the deal was sealed, and here I'm wearing it. And uh, you don't need to let me know if it matches or not, because I'm not too concerned. But here we are in 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Uh, the last verse that we were looking at last week says this. For we are God's fellow workers, and you, the church, are God's field. And then he transitions to another metaphor. You are God's building. So the field illustration tells us not to put our allegiance in people. And the building illustration says don't put your efforts in the peripherals, in the the side things, in the distractions, but to focus on what really, really matters. So in the next several minutes, we're going to look at three ways that we can invest our lives so that they really matter. And uh, this is going to be in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 17. And the first of those ways is thoughtfully invest your life by keeping the focus on Christ. Uh, Let me just read those verses 10 and 11. It says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And... uh, as I already mentioned, this is a metaphor, so there's some metaphor language. He, he built a foundation, uh, or he laid a foundation, which is, he's basically saying he planted that church. He came to that area in Corinth. Um, he, uh, he shared the gospel about Jesus. Some people believed, and they started gathering together, and a church was, was formed there. That was Paul laying this foundation. And he says he considers it a, a, a gift from God. You're like, wow, what a privilege to plant this church. What a privilege to tell these people about Jesus and they responded and now they're, they're living it out. Well, well, we see throughout this book that they don't get it perfect, like we don't get it perfect, but lo and behold, there's a real church there built on a real foundation. And that foundation is the good news about Jesus. So later in this book, 1 Corinthians 15, he kind of makes it real clear exactly what that good news is. And uh, let, let me lead into it like this in First Corinthians 15. First one says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, this good news, that I preached to you, like when he planted the church, in which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
And, uh, and here's what he says. I deliver to you of first importance what I already received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Here is the foundation. Here's the bedrock. The core central thing is that Jesus died to save us, and he rose again to give us life so that we might dwell with him. That is the main thing that we're building on, both personally and corporately. And I think personally, you might look at it as, what is your core identity? Now, we latch on to a lot of things as identity, whether it's, um, whether it's a national identity or your, uh, your relationship in your family. You know, like my main identity was a, was a father or a husband. Or maybe your identity comes from something you've accomplished. It's like, oh, he's the guy who, you know, was famous for this or that. All those things are fragile. Only the bedrock identity of being forgiven by Jesus and belonging to him, it stands. So that's what we want to build our lives on personally. Uh, So corporately what it means. um, This core bedrock is the good news about Jesus. So that's what this church, First Baptist, was founded on. And that's what drives us to, to uh, start new ministries, to, um, to push into new areas, to, uh, to choose songs in our worship services, and all these, all these things spring out of that bedrock of we are forgiven because of Jesus' death, and we live with him because he, he raised to life. But here's what happens. Something is started for that very reason, and it starts to take on a life of its own. This thing that was built on the gospel rises up and sometimes is even in conflict with the gospel. We've seen this happen in churches, um, just like historically in our nation, where a church might be founded on this good news about being forgiven by Christ, now raised up to live like him, and Christ was compassionate. We should be compassionate. Christ cared for the poor and the needy and the hurting. We should care for the poor, needy, and hurting. And then programs are developed that spring out of that heart to be like Christ. And then over time, those programs rise up and take a life of their own. And if, they can, if the gospel hinders that program, then the gospel is what's jettisoned. We've seen this happen in, in churches historically in our nation. Um, uh, similar things happened with uh, the Sunday school movement. Um, Late 1700s in, uh, in England, Robert Rakes and Thomas Stock, they were early promoters of the Sunday School movement, and the purpose was to reach out to street kids, basically. Um, but the Sunday School movement took on a life of its own. It was the precursor to public education. And uh, you fast forward you know, several generations, and now in, in our country, public education has squeezed out any real Christian voice. And so something that started on this foundation takes on a life of its own and, uh, and sometimes a hindrance to the gospel. So I don't see it happening on that scale here in this church family, but it makes me ponder and think, wow, we, we've done a lot of things. This church is over 50 years old. We start a lot of things for really good reasons. Um, are, have any of those taken on a life of their own and actually been a hindrance to uh, the core of what we're really doing with the gospel? 
our foundation we, is solid, and then we start kind of building off to the side, and it gets sloppy and messed up, um, and it just doesn't work. In the first church, I was a youth pastor. There's this uh, delightful family there. The man's name was Howard, and he actually uh, raced um, in the Baja 1000. He raced Baja bugs. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's pretty, pretty fun. And uh, he'd go down to Mexico a lot because of that. And going down a lot, he and his wife met a family because they started going to church there, even though I, I don't think that he was really spoke Spanish, did they? And they, they just started going to church. And they met this family and developed a relationship with them. Well, o- over time, they decided, hey, we'd like to help this family build a house. And so, uh, and so on the weekends, some guys would just go and build uh, a house for this family. And I actually shared this very story here about 12 years ago. Uh, but it left an impact on me. So we get there, and the foundation's already done. Somebody already did that. It's a cinder block wall with a slab over the top, and, uh, and it looked like a rectangle. And uh, our job that day was to try to frame the walls. So uh, we started you know, snapping lines and setting up walls, and we realized this is not a rectangle. So say just making up numbers, but 15 cinder blocks this way, 15 this way, 20, and... 19. So I, I don't know what exactly happened there, but it's not a, a rectangle. And, w- and so we had to make a decision right then. Do we uh, just follow the lines of this slab? Um, because that wouldn't be that hard to do. Or do, we, or do we make it our building an actual rectangle? Well, in our great wisdom, we thought, let's just follow the lines of the slab. Because it doesn't it, it looks kind of like a rectangle if you just glance at it, and that way there's not this funny wedge off to the side, um, and it just follow those lines. Can, can you kind of picture how this is working? So we put up those walls, no problem. We did it in, in one day. On a subsequent weekend, thankfully I wasn't there, they had to put the roof on. <laughs> so you can picture, if you think this out, that every rafter has to be custom cut for our non-rectangular building, and it was an engineering disaster for the ones who came along. So in your personal life, in your church life, you might be scrambling away, keeping real busy, and you know something's just not quite right, but you're like, ah, I just kind of keep getting up and doing it, doing it. Don't. Just, just stop. Take pause and rethink what you're building on. Is the focus on your true identity as one who's been forgiven by Jesus and his belongs to him. If it's not, stop and make corrections now. It just gets worse and worse. Years ago, I read uh, a story of a, of a POW. I think it was the Vietnam War, and I wish I could find the story, but um, but true story. And this is what happened. Is he, was, he was captured. Uh, he was an officer, and... Uh, he was tortured, interrogated, and uh, he didn't know, you know, if he didn't know if he would lose his life, if he'd leave his kids orphaned, his wife widowed, what kinds of things he would suffer. He was a believer in Jesus, and he came to this point where all the bargaining was over, you know, a, a relinquish to whatever you want to do, Lord, because in that in that crisis, there's bargaining that goes on. You know, if you get me out of here, you know, I'll, I'll be a nun or whatever. Um, okay, he was a man, so that wouldn't work. But he came to a point where all the bargaining was over, and he, uh, he just 
surrendered faith. As long as I'm a child of God, I'm ultimately okay. Well, he was eventually rescued. And years later, he says that he would have nostalgia for that time when it was just that sense of me and Jesus, uh, I'm okay. That, that sweetness of that kind of intense uh, dependence just on the Lord. Because really, all those other things can be stripped away. We think, well, I'm okay as long as I have my health. And then cancer creeps in. It's happened in my family. We think, I, I'm okay as long as you know, my, my kids turn out right, or as long as you know, my marriage works, or as long as I keep this house. And I know people in this room have lost spouses and, and children and homes. But God's enough. If we're building on Him, it's truly, truly enough. And so, when we're scrambling through life, if you realize your foundation is something else, your focus is something else, stop, think, and refocus on Jesus. Okay, so that's the first way that we can thoughtfully uh, invest is by keeping our focus on Jesus. And uh, so here's a second reason. He goes on in verses 12 to 15, is thoughtfully invest your life by keeping eternity in mind. Uh, I'd like to read these verses. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. You know, it'll, it'll be obvious. For the day will reveal it or disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So, as an individual, your foundation, your core identity is the follower of Jesus. As a church, our central focus is, you know, the good news about Jesus. But, but there's other things we are involved with in life. We, we don't just sit 24 hours a day meditating on that fact. We, we also build into our marriages. We build into our church and we invest. So what's the driving principle that helps us decide how we invest? Where we put our time, where we put our money, where we put our, our thoughts and efforts. The guiding principle is live in view of eternity. Keep eternity in mind. Personally, it, it uh, answers the question, what am I going to buy or not buy? Where am I going to go and not go? Um, except what am I going to put on the calendar and not? You know, corporately as a church family, you know, what programs are we going to start? What programs are we going to stop? What are we going to, to sing? What are we going to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This is where the nitty-gritty daily, day-to-day life uh, gets kind of fleshed out. Each moment thinking, okay, does this build into eternity or is this something temporal? Because our efforts are like those building materials. You notice the first three uh, are not really affected by fire. In fact, some are even purified by fire. The gold, silver, precious stones. Then think of like the three little pigs. Uh, the other materials are the wood, hay, and, and straw or stubble. They, they don't last. They don't last when wolves blow on them, or they especially don't last 
uh, in fire. I love this, uh, this little piece from uh, Rick Warren. I like to read it. It says, When you fully comprehend that there's more to life than just here and now, and you realize that life is just preparation for eternity, you will begin to live differently. You will start living in light of eternity, and that will color every relationship, every task and circumstance. Suddenly, many activities, goals, and even problems that seem so important will appear trivial, petty, and unworthy of your attention. How true that is. When we start to think, oh, eternity, oh, one day I'll be with the Lord. Uh, This puts it all in a whole different light. Uh, The hymnist says it this way. Turn your eyes upon who? Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. They'll just kind of fade into the background. We sang this great song this morning, Blessed Assurance. How great that we can bank on that of uh, being just secure in Christ. In, in our circles, we usually talk about eternal security and our, our Reformed brothers and sisters talk about the preservation of the saints and really all the same thing. You know, when God holds us in his hand, he's not going to, you know, drop us. You know, you become a child of God, you don't become an unchild of God. And that is a sweet, sweet thing. But some of us think of it more like uh, a fire insurance policy. Like, well, I was in second grade and I prayed to receive Christ and, uh, and uh, now I'm good. I'll just kind of live you know, do whatever, and, you know, I'll cash that in one day. About 2007, I think, there were some big fires that ripped through San Diego County. I had a lot of family that lived down there. I was just watching on the news. It looked like it was getting kind of close to my brother's house. They just bought a new house in this nice neighborhood. And I sent an email saying, hey, you know, how's it going? Here, there's fires. And he sent this picture back of his house, his garage. This is his detached garage with the flames just coming right out of it. Well, Isaac had uh, homeowner's insurance, fire insurance, and they rebuilt that garage. It's actually a better garage than originally. But it was a traumatic experience. He suffered loss. There was things he built in there, tools and equipment he'd collected over the years, and and, and all these things, and just to sit back helplessly and watch that burn up, it's really, really a traumatic thing. Um, same brother, I have, I have several brothers, and over the years you'll probably hear stories about them, but um, the same brother just a few months ago, several weeks at least, um, he came home with his family to see water just pouring out of the front door of his house. And... Uh, they have laundry indoors, and a hose broke and totally flooded their house. They had built all these custom cabinets, totally destroyed. Hardwood floors, totally destroyed. Uh, just thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of damage. They have insurance, and they're rebuilding, and they're fixing that. But they've been living a few months uh, with the in-laws, and all these things that they put a lot of investment into uh, are destroyed. So... Are they going to have their place replaced? Yes. Did they suffer loss? Yes. So this concept of, oh, I got my you know, free ticket to heaven because I prayed this prayer back in the day and then I could do whatever I want, that's not how it works. 
We see verse 15, it says, If anyone's work is burned up, meaning you invested in things that didn't really matter, in the end, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yes, but as just like escaping a fire. So the things that we, we pour ourselves into, they really, really do matter for eternity. So what does this look like and how do we keep this in front of our minds? I just had a dinner, a delightful dinner at the Scott's house early or this week or it's last week. It's all a blur. I don't know. Sometime. And uh, I saw they have this chalkboard and it just has one word and it says eternity. And I kind of asked about that and, and uh, Kurt said, you know, it's something like it's for perspective. Is this true, right? This is how it happened? Yeah. Um, because we need these constant reminders to think about the big picture, eternity, eternity. That's what it looks like personally. I thought, what does this look like for a church? And uh, I thought of this story that keeps coming back to me. Of several years ago, I was at a conference of, uh, of Christian workers in our association of churches. This was in the Northwest. Uh, shortly after I left here, and I was at the church up in Vacaville. Um, so we went up to this conference and this speaker talked about his church that was 50 years old, and he is leading his church through something he called a year of jubilee. And uh, what that meant for them is they eliminated every single program and thing that their church was doing, except for the worship service on Sunday and their small groups. They called them uh, Christ groups, I think, or life groups. Um, that's all the... You know, they had a big Awana program, they scrapped that. They had all these things that they'd done for years and years, they just scrapped them all. Uh, the intention was to thoughtfully, at the end of the year, add things back in, but certainly not, not everything. It was like, because things tend to take on a life of their own. They boil up and they become all about this thing rather than about why we started the thing in the first place. And so it just made me think, well, our church is 50 years old. I, I'm not suggesting we scrap everything, but, but I'm saying look at things as a church and say, uh, is there anything we've built up and has taken a life of its own that, you know, we, we don't, we're not attached to anymore? Coming back to just the core foundation of the good news about Jesus. And uh, then that thought really scared me. So I went on to point number three. So the third reason or the third way that we can make our lives matter is by thoughtfully investing your life by treating Christ's church with holy awe. It's a sacred, holy thing. Verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Do you not know? Well, he actually says this several times throughout the book. It's like, hello, you know, don't you know this? He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So you, church, the gathering of God's people are a building, but not just, you know, any building, not a, not a shopping mall or not a shed or a barn, but you are a temple, we're not talking about this structure here. We're talking about the visible uh, gathering of God's people. You are a sacred building, a holy building, a, uh, a, an, an edifice that's built up for a special purpose by the Lord. And 
and it says that it's not as clear in English um, that the you here is plural. You, plural, are God's temple. Well, parts of our, com- our country, it's more obvious. Uh, parts of the South where y'all, I think, is singular, but all y'alls is plural. Um, but on this coast, we don't really have something comparable. So I just had to point out that uh, you collectively are the dwelling place of God. Now, later in this same book, Paul talks about individually, you know, you, your body's a temple, your body's a temple, etc. That's in, I believe, in chapter 7. Do we have that verse? It's in 6. Well, verse 7, he kind of elaborates on what that means. He says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? So later he talks about individually, but here he says, collectively, you are the dwelling place of God. You are a sacred dwelling. And in verse 17, he says, if you mess with God's temple, God will mess with you. Well, that's a sobering fact. So what does it mean to, to mess with God's temple, to desecrate it? You know, if this is the visible um, representation of God's dwelling place here, it'd be easy for us to, to mess that up by you know, living carelessly, um, making a bad name on, on the Lord. Leviticus 10 has a good example of this. Uh, we have been in Sunday mornings uh, before I was around and been looking at um, Exodus and the building of the tabernacle and all the design and all the elaborate things that went into, um, into the tabernacle. And when they finally completed it, what happened? The very glory of the Lord in a visible way, came and filled that tent. It was quite impressive. And then we go into the next book, Leviticus, and we see how, how the worship in the tabernacle actually you know, unfolded and took place. And two of the first worship leaders, it's a good uh, reminder to all of us who lead worship on occasion, um, Nadab and Abihu, these were the sons of Aaron, and this is how their, their worship experience uh, went. Now picture this. They've been working all this time building this thing. The whole nation, you know, a million, whatever, two million people or whatever, have their eyes on, this, on these guys. And they came out, and here's how it went down. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they each took his censer, and they put fire in it, and they laid incense on it and offered uh, unauthorized fire before the Lord. This isn't what God asked them to do. They just did it. And, uh, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died right there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I'll be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And what did Aaron do? Aaron held his peace. What else could he do? You know, his sons, right there in front of the whole nation, did their own thing, disregarded what God wanted, and whether it was uh, lightning from heaven or something you know, really unusual came out of the tent, but fire burned them completely up. It consumed them. They were dead right there. And uh, Moses says to Aaron, you know, this, this is what happens <laughs> when you mess with God's thing. And Aaron had nothing to respond. All this is to say that God takes very 
serious his dwelling place, which is you, which is us. We are the dwelling place of God. Years ago, uh, Heather and I worked with junior high students at Shadow Mountain Community Church, um, uh, church David Jeremiah's at. We were in school down there. And uh, we, they had all these buses, and they take them to the beach and, and wherever. And when we got back from some trip, I, I think it might have been the beach, somebody met us there, and they were angry. And we got news that uh, somebody had called the church angry because they were following the church bus, and somebody, a student, had jumped in front of the back window, had bent over and dropped his pants in front of God and rush hour traffic in uh, in East County of San Diego. Um, well, what's right on the side of the bus? The name of the church. And so even before cell phones, you know, it's a very small step to get that information back to home base. And uh, yeah, there, there was a big, long discussion about that, as you can imagine. So uh, later on, when I was here as a youth pastor, and we take a bus down to Mexico, which also had the name of our church on it, um, I'd always give these speeches, you know, see that name on the bus, that represent, you know, you're representing, you know, the United States of America, and you're representing, you know, the First Baptist Church, and God Almighty, you know, try to, you know, drive home the point of, uh, you know, when you're out and about, as the body of Christ, we represent God. We don't want to desecrate his dwelling place. This plays out in, you know, what we eat, what we drink and how much we drink and with whom. It plays out in how we spend our money and how we, how we treat the, the waitress and, and all these things. You know, our town is small enough that most people probably know that you're uh, a church-going person and where you go to church. Please, as you're going through your daily life, don't desecrate God's holy dwelling place, which is what you are. So, just to summarize, we really want to make our lives matter. And how do we do that? Thoughtfully invest your life by keeping the focus on Christ, your true identity. Thoughtfully invest your life by keeping eternity in mind. Thoughtfully invest your life by treating his church with holy awe. As I pondered about all these things, I thought, wow, there is a lot at stake. You know, but maybe not exactly what we think is at stake. We might think, what's going to happen to the church if we don't get this right? Well, turns out that Jesus has this covered. And uh, he reminds us in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus himself says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we might say the main point is the master craftsman, he'll continue to build his glorious church. God's going somewhere. He has a plan. But for us, make your life count by investing in what he is building, in what he is up to. Think about eternity. Think about core identity in Christ. And think about his, his holy dwelling place that we're all we're all part of here. So image one, the chicken, I mean, the field is uh, don't put your allegiance in, in any human. Um, today is the building or the temple. And uh, man, 
I'm just happy to be part of what God's doing here. Uh, Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to remember that this is your thing. This is your holy dwelling place. The, The lives of these people all collectively together, whether we live here in town or we're visiting, we're still your family and representing you, and it's your holy place. So let us let us treat us accordingly. And in that, may our, our lives really matter for eternity. Thank you for being patient with us, and thank you for the confidence that you have us secure. And uh, the future of your church is ultimately totally secure in your powerful hands. And it's uh, in your precious name I pray these things. Amen.